You are listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Australia. Hello my radio friends, I'm glad you've joined me today and I hope these programs are bringing you to a more intimate relationship with God and His Holy Word. Today we will be considering our own country, Australia, and looking at some of the issues from a biblical perspective. There is no doubt that this country is much different than it was half a century ago. Today, moral and social values have changed dramatically, and the focus of many people has shifted from working for the common good to hedonism, that is, the gaining of pleasure. We have, during the last 50 years, come through a gradual globalisation legalization of abortion, a sexual revolution, greater freedom of expression, feminization, political correctness, individualism, widespread growth of information technology, changed attitudes in regard to authority, and a rise in secularism and humanism. Some people long for the good old days, when a man's word was his bond, when you didn't need to lock your house or car, and where people were much more community-minded. Australia was once regarded as a Christian nation. Now it's regarded as a secular or pagan non-Christian nation. And all this has affected our attitudes and our relationships. One of the influencing factors which has led Australians to think differently has been the widespread teaching of evolution, where there has been a concerted push to remove God. As a result, many people believe human beings are simply the product of gradual changes, starting with slime. So, what's wrong with that? Two things. Firstly, dignity. While mankind is seen as the pinnacle of evolution, there is nothing to be proud of in mankind's perceived ancestry. Families generally try to hide the fact that within the family ancestral line there might be some undesirable forebear. Likewise, with the idea of evolution, there's nothing to be proud of if your ancestor is an ape. Secondly, the second problem that is morality. If mankind has descended from lower life forms, There is no absolute morality, no clear right or wrong. You see, it just happened. 
Morality today is largely determined by majority consensus. What the majority agrees to is considered to be right. Here's a little example. In the early 1980s, the stealing of a bicycle in Holland was regarded as a criminal offence. But because so many bicycles were being stolen, because so many people stole bicycles, the government made a new law proclaiming that it was no longer a crime to steal a bicycle. So, if your bike gets stolen, what should you do? Answer, steal one yourself. You see, majority consensus became the rule of law. And this type of acceptance has crossed over into many other areas. Once, it was considered wrong to have sexual intercourse with someone who was not your spouse. In the 21st century, adultery hardly raises an eyebrow. Homosexuality is considered almost normal, and sex before marriage just doesn't seem to be an issue. Every day there is more and more information which causes people to accept the current situations as normal, situations which our grandparents would have regarded wrong and as totally unacceptable. Why? The answer is because our grandparents acted in relation to absolutes. Absolutes came from God. Today, what determines right or wrong behaviour is the product of a majority decision. And this brings us to the topic of much recent debate, the topic of same-sex marriage. Is it right or is it wrong? Is it discriminatory or non-discriminatory? It's my opinion that the same-sex marriage issue falls into a similar category, sorry about that, as the abortion debate, which arose last century. Those who adhere to the theory of evolution do not have any substantial basis to question same-sex marriage. For them, it is evolution in action, and as such, there cannot be any moral scruples preventing it. Before considering the Bible's perspective, have you ever wondered what would happen if the majority of people in our society accepted same-sex marriage? That is, if most people married partners of the same sex. After one or two generations, the population of the world would plummet very few babies would be born. In an earlier program, we looked at the issue of human rights and where human rights came from. The answer is and was that human rights came from God. God required that humans respect and care for others as they respect and care for themselves. But God also has set boundaries. The same-sex supporters claim that society at large 
needs to allow same-sex couples to have the same rights and privileges, privileges as heterosexual couples. These rights include issues relating to medical expenses, tax concessions, certain superannuation and workers' compensation benefits, nursing home benefits, separation settlements and other such things. In Australia, there are approximately 20,000 same-sex couples and the same-sex lobby is seeking to have 58 federal laws changed for them to gain equality. Put simply, the main issues revolve around these things. Firstly, it is more costly to live, plus there are less benefits for the same-sex couples than for heterosexual couples. Traditionally, same-sex couples are regarded as two individuals rather than as one couple. So, men desire to marry men and women desire to marry women. One wonders if in the future is it conceivable that people may press for similar legislation to have equal rights to marry animals, dogs for example. If one considers the issue of the same-sex marriage philosophically, it would appear that there are individuals who cannot or are not prepared to conform to a societal norm and as a result claim that society has discriminated against them. But in reality, they may be discriminating against society at large by saying, we are not prepared to accept your values, but we want you to give us all your privileges. That kind of argument also applies to many of the Muslim immigrants who have come to our shores in recent years. It is impossible to support a case for same-sex marriage from the Bible. Genesis, the first book in the Bible, chapter 1, tells about how mankind came to be. It says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And then in chapter 2 and verse 24, the Bible tells us, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. These verses are rich with meaning, but essentially they tell us that it was God who made man, both sexes. It was God who intended that a man and woman should live together and that they were to procreate children. It was God who intended that the basic unit of society would be, would be the nuclear family with a father, a mother and their children. It was God who gave man his dignity. 
After all, man was made in the image of God. Man was not some aberration of some ape or bear or octopus. And marriage was an institution made by God. Ever since then, Satan has been trying to destroy what God has made. And frankly, he has had much more success than he deserves. But the Bible goes on to say much more about same-sex relationships. Leviticus chapter 18 has a list of specific instructions direct from God about sexual relations. In the first verse is a warning for the Israelites not to behave like the Egyptians and the Canaanites, whose behaviour was particularly immoral. And in verse 22, God says, Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. That is detestable. According to God's instructions, homosexual acts were and are an abomination. Now I know this is pretty heavy stuff today and we'll have a little break before going on. You can't be a beacon if your light don't shine. You can't be a beacon if your light don't shine. There's a little light in all of us by God's design. And you can't be a beacon if your light don't shine. How can you ask for truth when you do not truthfully? Forgiveness when you don't forgive I don't mean to bring you down or speak to you unkind But you can't be a beacon if your light don't shine You can't be a beacon if your light don't shine You can't be a beacon if your light don't shine There's a little light in all of us by God's design Yeah. 
God's instructions, homosexual acts were and are an abomination. You may know what happened to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. They were destroyed by supernatural fire and brimstone that rained down from the sky. Now, God doesn't just go around destroying people for fun. The Bible gives the reason for the destruction. It was because of gross, widespread homosexual immorality. And you can read what happened for yourself in Genesis chapters 18 and 19. Those two cities were completely destroyed and never rebuilt. Should you visit that area today, you will find it a burnt wasteland even today. You see, as far as God is concerned, homosexuality is against the proper created order of things. There are a number of references in the New Testament where homosexual acts are listed with other negative behaviours. In Galatians five eighteen and 19, there are 16 things listed that are unlawful, that is, that they are sin. And the first one listed is sexual immorality. In the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21, a contrast is presented. It's a contrast between the saved and the unsaved, those who will inherit inherit eternal life and those who won't. The wicked ones will receive God's eternal punishment And a short list is given categorizing those who are wicked. And they include the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars. Such people would be total misfits in what God has planned for the righteous ones. Yes, the Bible does condemn sexual immorality, including homosexuality and lesbianism. But does it hold out any hope for anyone who is involved in sexual immorality? Definitely yes. You see, all sinners, no matter what they have done, are offered eternal life through the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who paid the legal requirement for our sins. And John chapter 3 verse 16 explains that perfectly. The critical factor, however, is whether one sins deliberately and keeps on sinning deliberately. Yes, 
God is willing to forgive our sins, even if we repent of them many times over. But if someone wants to remain in that sinful condition and has no desire to accept God's forgiveness, then there's a real problem. They cannot be forgiven. And this not only applies to sexual sins, but to all sins. Someone might be asking, but isn't there a verse in the Bible which says there is no difference regarding nationality, gender and social standing? Yes, there is. In fact, there are at least three which say almost the same thing. Galatians 3 verse 28 is one of these and it says, For there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. But this text must not be misapplied. The text is pointing out that there is no advantage in being of one nationality or another. Skin colour makes no difference, gender has no advantage, nor anything else that will gain us points with God. We will only be saved on the same footing through Jesus Christ. Yes, people of the same sex may very well love each other. There's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is with what goes on with partners of the same sex living together and how their sexual desires are expressed. The Bible strongly condemns immoral sexual acts. There is a movement in Australia known as AusExit. This movement seeks to bring Australian society to Bible-based values. The goals of AusExit are noble and uplifting, and I believe that all Australians would do well to follow and practice what AusExit is fighting for. Here's a quote from one of AusExit's information sheets. It says, Australian society should feature true love based on biblical principles of individual and civic rights and responsibilities, not for the right to do what we like, but to do what is right and our duty to do for the benefit of all. Australia needs strong men and women of courage and character, serving the public interest in government, bound by principle ahead of party politics and self-interest. Australia needs an education environment for families, homes and schools that can produce alert, smart-thinking people who can tell right from wrong, truth from deception, and who truly practice love for their fellow man. Australia needs a people and government truly dedicated to freedom and self-determination and who can be a lighthouse to the world. When God looks down on our current world, I wonder what he thinks. Somehow I get the idea 
that he is impatiently waiting for the time when he can end all this misery, instability, sin and aberrant behaviour and make all things new and set up an order of things wherein dwells righteousness. And I'm waiting for such a time and I hope you are too. It's time for Christians to stand up for what is right and be heard because though we live in what is described as the lucky country, our society has deteriorated. All is not good and it does not appear to be getting any better. Won't you try to do your bit to make the world around you just a little bit better? while waiting for Jesus to come. His coming is the blessed hope. Let's prepare ourselves to be citizens of God's eternal kingdom. Well, on that note, we have to stop again. Until our next appointment, may I wish you God's blessing as you endeavour to honour him, and may he bless you as you try to bring a little bit of sunshine into the lives of others.